title of the worship today is from Psalm 32, and I know it says uh, leader and all, but I encourage you to sing with us the whole time. All right, please stand, and we'll sing together. Happy are they whose sins are forgiven. Happy are they to whom the Lord imputes no guilt. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of
pray together. Almighty God, we, we know that we all, like sheep, have gone astray, that we've turned to our own way. But you, in your grace and mercy, you laid our iniquity on your Son. Father, we rejoice in his full and final work of atonement. We're humbled that uh, though he is innocent and guiltless, that he took the punishment for our sin and died the death of, of a criminal that we hold close the reality that you, God, made him who made no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we, we might become the righteousness of God. And loving God, uh, we just ask that you would open our hearts to both receive and to give this morning, to drink deeply of your love and to give abundantly from it. So, Father, we ask that by your spirit that you would make yourself known to us this morning. Come to those of us who feel really near and those of us who feel really far from you. Father, meet all of us and show us the grace of Jesus and change us by it. We pray in the, in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship. Um, one just uh, uh, note, uh, there actually is going to be a junior high class today. I know that we mentioned at the beginning that there wasn't, but there is, so feel free to Come forward for that too. Well, we turn now to our time of con confession and assurance, a time to acknowledge with God our sin and our need, and we also look to his generosity and grace. We'll do this together as a church and then have a time of quiet personal confession. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Gracious and gentle Father, we confess to you the sins that we continue to struggle with, even after confessing them to you time and time again. Give us hope and perseverance, we pray through Jesus our Lord. Amen.
please take a moment of quiet personal confession. Father, we come to you with our sin, the ways that we have set our hearts towards the things that, that break us down. But with you, O oh Lord, there is forgiveness that when we confess, you are faithful and just to forgive, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we give thanks in the name of Christ. Amen. We'll stand together to, to hear our words of assurance that come to us from Philippians chapter 1. Let's join together. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Well, as we've been welcomed into God's family, let us also welcome each other in the name of Christ.
Old Testament lesson comes from Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. The gospel lesson is from John 3, 1 through 17. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be here worshiping with you. And we're going to continue in our fall sermon series looking at uh, the book of Romans. You'll see a note in your order uh, that we're looking at passages from the first eight chapters of that book. Um, thank you, Lynn, for reading from the scriptures. Um, before we look at our passage from Romans 4, um, I want to start by mentioning that recently I was asked a question. I was asked a question, where can I buy good food for my parrot? You weren't, you weren't expecting that, were you? You weren't expecting that question. Neither was I. Where can I buy good food for my parrot, as in a bird? Well, maybe, maybe some of you out there, I'm sure some of you know the answer, but I had to say, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I have never bought food for any bird in my life. This is a random example. You know, where do I buy good food for my parrot? But I mentioned that as a way to think about how we are always, whether we think about it or not, asking questions. We're always asking for a little bit of direction, a little bit of guidance. How do I do this? We ask this about school assignments, about home improvement projects, finding the best restaurants, how to handle work and different responsibilities. What should I do? We ask for guidance, which school is best? Do I take this job offer or what, what should I do? We think about that in relationships too. We ask for guidance in, in dating and how to relate to our parents, especially as they get older, how to have a marriage or how to best parent our children. All the time, 
people are asking questions or seeking guidance. And sometimes it's maybe in small things like where you find bird food, but also it could be foundational questions, right? In a world that offers many things and one that's constantly asking for more, telling us to do more or to grab more, we wonder what really satisfies. Is it possible to go about my life and work and responsibilities in which I don't lose my life, but actually find life? Where do we look? And maybe it's worth us even stopping now and thinking, who, who is it that you look to or who do you ask these type of questions to? Who is it that we look to? I ask that because it's a good question, something good for us to even think about where we direct our questions or our hope for guidance or examples. But I also ask because it helps us understand our passage. And in an interesting verse, the prophet Isaiah, many, many, many years ago, proclaimed to those who would listen, saying, listen, if, if you want to live in a good way, listen, if you want to seek and know God, Look at Abraham and Sarah. Again, that might not be what we are expecting to hear. But the prophet Isaiah, many, many years after Abraham and Sarah had lived, those we learned about in Genesis, Isaiah, as the prophet, says to the people, if you want to find out about living life and about seeking and knowing God, ponder Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were called by God, telling, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to a land that I will show you. And they also received the promise that I will make you into a great nation. And through your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. They were called and they went out, not knowing where they were going. They went looking, though, for a city that has true foundations, a city that's designed and built by God. And like Isaiah, Paul in our passage does much the same thing, highlighting Abraham and Sarah. For our passage begins with a question. Let's think of Abraham. What did he gain? Or another way to say it, what did he discover? What did he discover? So we're going to read our passage from Romans 4. It's a little longer than normal, but it kind of contains you know, Paul's argument. What I'm hoping is that we'll be invited not just to think about theological ideas, but invited to actually think about who God is and the example that Abraham and Sarah point to us about the spiritual life. So let's look at our passage. It's printed in your order. You can read there or follow along in your Bible. This is Romans 4, 1 through 8, and then 13 through 25. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if, it, if it's adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the inheritance of the law, but also to the ones who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, 
In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is God's word. It's given for our good. Well, obviously, we won't be able to talk about everything in this passage I just read, but I want us to be able to, to grasp this, uh, the main ideas here and especially be invited to see the example of Abraham and Sarah. And there's two questions I want us to ask to help us grasp our passage and the first one is, what does the example of Abraham tell us about living in relationship with God? And the second question is, how does this example guide us in faith? So the first question is, what does the example of Abraham tell us about being in relationship with God? Well, we should start with the position that Abraham is said to have, that he was justified before God, meaning that he was fully accepted by God. God. And the, the question is, how? What did Abraham discover? And Paul writes, Abraham was not justified by works of the law. No, he was declared fully accepted due to his faith. In order to help us grasp this example, to, to think about what that means for our relationship with God, Paul then gives two contrasts. A wage versus a gift, and the law versus the promise. So the wage versus the gift, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. We know this, right? Imagine after you know, days of hard work of, of many hours, you receive your check or your payment, and you take a look at it, and there's a nice little note inside there saying, this gift is for you. <laughs> You'd be like, wait, what? I just worked all these hours. This is not a gift. You owe this to me, right? And so we know what Paul is saying here. And the key word that he's you know, inviting us to think about is credited or counted. This is a financial term. It's to put something into someone's account. Our accounts can be credited or counted by wages earned or by a gift received. If you work, you earn the wage credited to your account, and therefore you can boast, look, I did this. I did this. But in contrast, there is the one who receives a gift. In this case, receiving something into your account that you didn't work for, there's no boasting, Paul says. There's no boasting because there was no obligation. And the argument here is for us to see that this is the case for Abraham. God was not obligated to declare him righteous or fully accepted because of his performance. Rather, our passage says, Abraham believed in God, the one who justifies the ungodly. And his faith or his trust then was counted or credited to him, given to him as a gift. Something is credited to him, but it's not due to his work. It's because he puts his faith in God and God's activity. The one who gives new standing to the ungodly or to the unworthy. So these two, a wage or a gift, they set forth two different ways of relating to God or thinking about one's spiritual life. And it invites us in our kind of world that is very transactional in which things are very much 
focus on economics, about what you can offer or how much something costs or what you can earn. He raises the question, do I see my spiritual life in a similar way? It's transactional. And you might think, no, of course not. You know what, that's not how things work. But it, it's, it's hard, right, to live in a context that constantly is asking us what it is that we can contribute or what we can accomplish in a certain time or what we can bring to the table. It's hard not to also then think that if I do certain things, that God is obligated to provide me with something. There is another way to think of the spiritual life, the way of the gift, in which we're invited to learn to live in light of the gift. That one accepts us or one receives us in generosity, not because of our worth or transaction. Well, this contrast of wage versus gift continues with the image of the law versus the promise, the law versus the promise. Our passage continues saying the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So hear this, for if those who live by law are heirs of the promise, that is, if those who have the inheritance of a new standing as God's people, if that depends on their obedience, then faith has no value and the promise is worthless. The promise is meaningless. What's, what's Paul trying to say here? Well, one way to get this is to say that there is something maybe called law, law language, that you shall, this language demands our obedience, you shall. And there's promise language, I will, I will. And this language demands our faith or our trust. See, God's law makes demands, you shall love the Lord your God with all of who you are, or you shall love your neighbors as you love yourself. And in light of that, the you shall reveals our trespasses, our failures, our falling short. The law reveals us as unrighteous and unjust. But the promise, and the promise God gives grace and a gift and makes a promise such as I will justify you, I will adopt you as my people, I will forgive you and be with you. And this we receive, we believe. And such a promise, because it's not rooted in our performance, offers us a shelter and a refuge that is certain. A shelter and a refuge that is certain in a world that is full of chaos and uncertainty. A shelter for today and for tomorrow. Walt Whitman has a poem titled The Noiseless Patient Spider. Noiseless Patient Spider. In this poem, he compares our souls to a spider. <laughs> like the noiseless patient spider sending forth filament, filament, filament out of itself. So my soul is ceaselessly venturing, throwing, seeking to connect. He invites us to picture the soul throwing out spider-like strings, always reaching, always seeking, always casting forth, looking for something to cling to, to hold, to construct a web of life and of meaning and security. And if this is true, if Whitman's observation is true, then the question becomes, you know, where do you and I look? Where do we attach our spider-like string? Where do we seek to build our web? And the common assumption, if, if you're like me, the common assumption of the air that we breathe is that we should build our webs, of course, attach our souls to what gains us the most wages. 
what credits our account, our, our job, our education, our, our money accumulation, our, our networking, our fostering of what might be right social or symbolic capital. And it's tempting to think of religion in the same way. If we're seeking to build our web, then for sure we should attach our soul to our strength, to our goodness, to our own standing. Yet if we look and ponder Abraham and Sarah, we're being invited to imagine what it would be to attach our soul, to cling with our soul, not to our wages or our works of the law or our doing well, but attach it to God's promise and his gift. See, Paul speaks of grace, an unmerited gift. In God's grace, he makes a promise and gives the gift of Christ. And what is striking about this gift that we see in Abraham is that it's not given based on the recipient's worth, but it's given to those who are unworthy, given to those who do not have a standing of their own, but given out of God's grace to those who need a standing. This is the whole point and why in our passage, the way God is identified is that God is the one who justifies or gives a new standing to the ungodly. God fully accepts through his gift those who are unjust. God gives to Abraham a righteousness, a sure standing, a full acceptance, a forgiveness of sins and the acknowledgement that he belongs as the people of God. So this is the example of Abraham. And there's a chance for us to think about our own spiritual lives and how we think about one relating to God. But it also brings us to the second question of how does Abraham's example guide us in our faith? How does it guide us in our faith? Maybe you noticed in our passage, it, it says very clearly that, that the words that was counted to him as righteousness were not written just for Abraham, but also for us. These words were written for you and for me. And the same God who credits faith of Abraham as righteousness credits righteousness to us if we believe. If we believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. See, Abraham was not unique. Abraham and Sarah did not, were not the only ones who do this. Justification by faith <coughs> excuse me, is God's way for all his people. In the second part of our passage, we're directed to think about Abraham and Sarah's life. <clears throat> the promise was not just leave your land and your family and I'll give you a new land. But you see the promise, I will give you a child and you will have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. That's what the image on the front cover of our order of worship is from inviting Abraham and Sarah to look at the sky and say that through you, there'll be a great family. And through that family will be blessings for all the nations. But that promise came to Abraham and Sarah while they were childless and why Abraham and Sarah were almost 100 years old. And our passage makes clear there's no kind of hiding the realities or the limits. Abraham knew his body. He knew his age and the age of his wife. As one translation puts it, he faced the facts. Could he bring forth a child? Could he and Sarah change their situation? Yet in hope, he believed against hope. In hope, he believed against hope, meaning with hope in God, he believed against all human hope. He believed that God was able to do what he had promised. He believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations. He believed in God, the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. To 
to step into what we're being invited to imagine is, is deep waters. It's a story that maybe we're familiar with for long ago, but if we actually step into the experience that is being described, those are deep waters. It invites us to think about it's, we can't really talk about faith in God without also acknowledging or talking about our own limits. It's hard to imagine wrestling with faith in God without in some meaningful way talking about the limits that we have on control or the limits that power we have over our circumstances, over relationships and people that we care about, over even ourselves. See, Abraham and Sarah were faced with their limits, their inability to make things be as they desired or even as God had promised to them. Throughout this, looking at Romans, we've been coming back to these questions, gospel questions, does God leave us in our sin and misery? Are we alone? Are we alone to face life simply with our own resources or whatever we can bring with us? We consistently have heard that the gospel proclamation of Jesus as the gift, it says to us, no. God does not leave us and that there is something more than our resources, that God is faithful even when we are not, and that God is active in the midst of our limits and our inability. You see, God provides an offspring, a child of promise, Isaac, to Abraham and Sarah, even after they were many years older than childbearing years, even in their barrenness, God brings forth a child of promise. We see this throughout Scripture. God res rescued and restored Israel even when they were enslaved and bondage under mighty Egypt. And God raised Jesus from the dead even when he had been rejected and crushed by the powers of the world and God even declares sinners like you and me to be his righteous sons and daughters. God takes those who have failed to love God and love their neighbors, those who have stolen and murdered and lied and broken vows, and in his power and faithfulness, he declares us fully accepted, forgiven and right and united to himself in Christ. This is the good news, and it speaks into our limits and into our powerlessness. Behind all promises <clears throat> rests the character of the person who makes them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Behind all promises, I will, rests the character of the person who makes them. And Abraham knew this, and as he con contemplated his own limits, his own inability to bring forth the promise or make things happen as he desired. He remembered and trusted in the power and faithfulness of God, the one who makes promises and the one who justifies the ungodly. We're invited to look to him and to have faith ourselves and to remember that God is not ultimately just the God of Abraham, God is the Father of Jesus Christ, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, showing that he could bring life out of the dead and bring into existence that which does not exist. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, that you're gracious to us. We thank you for the good news of this letter. We pray that we would hear it and that we'd receive it, that you'd speak into our life the, the gift the promise, and that you'd move in our hearts to help us to receive and believe in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing together. My hope is built on nothing
God, you are glorious in your mercy toward us, showing us grace when we go astray. Give us repentant hearts and steadfast faith to hold fast to your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And now we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his family. Whenever we gather before this table that Christ sets for us, it's a chance for us to remember what this gift is. This bread and cup, they things that we can see and hold and taste that speak of God's promise and grace to us in Christ. And it helps us as we gather as a people to remember that we are been united in Christ. That our place at this table is not based on our worth or what social capital we have or maybe what religious things we've done or what we've promised to do. But rather collectively, by God's grace, we are united in Christ to one another. Each having a place at the table by God's grace from beginning to end. And if this is true, then it invites us to receive each other and to love one another and to then go out and represent Christ and his family to our neighbors to receive and love them as well. For Christ invites sinners to come to be fully accepted in his broken body and shed blood. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for this table that your people have gathered for generations and centuries, remembering the Passover of what you have done to free your people from bondage in Egypt. And now to remember what Christ has done, the one who has faced all that would hold us and brought us liberation from sin and shame and death. We give you thanks that it's not something that we've contributed to or collaborated with, 
but a gift that you give us. And we ask that you'd help us to receive it with empty hands. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite this time to invite the servers to come forward. If you are participating in communion, I invite you to come down the center aisle and you can receive uh, from the servers. I ask that you go back on the sides. Um, and then also that if you're able that you would hold the elements until everyone's been served that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not taking communion this morning, uh, we're glad that you're here and we still invite you to come forward. If you come forward, just put your arm across your chest. We're all happy to offer a prayer of blessing for you here at God's table. Let us come now and receive God's gifts. body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith.
Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing and confess as God's people. Lord Jesus Christ, by your spirit, watch over us. Preserve us from evil and keep us safe as we begin a new week. Renew us by your love as we proclaim the mystery of faith. together in these words from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue uh, our worship through the giving of our gifts to God and to the work of the church. And so I want to invite forward uh, those who are the greeters and those who will be passing the offering plates. You'll see a note in your order that you can give. If you'd like to give to the work of the church, you can do that through the, the offering now, or you can also go online or, or text. There's a number of different options to do that. Um, oh, I guess I should also mention there is a, a gray basket that will come. The gray basket's for putting your communion cup in, and then the, the plate is for the, uh, the offering. <laughs> Um, I want to take also a moment just to say again, if you're visiting uh, with us today, we're really glad that you're here. Um, thanks for joining us for worship. Uh, there is a time after the service of coffee and bagels, so hopefully everyone can stay and enjoy some time together. Um, it'll be right outside the doors, the back of the gym, and so we can enjoy time together. They are just the grounds of the school as well. Um, a couple other things to mention, if, if you are visiting, uh, or if you don't receive the church's weekly email and you'd like to kind of give your share your information, uh, there is a, a QR code in the back of your order that you can scan and fill it out online. There's also a, a tablet at the back table uh, that you can leave your name and information, and uh, Pastor Brian or I will be happy to follow up with you and share more information about the church. And if you're interested, put in the uh, put you on the weekly email list that goes out each week. Um, another thing just to, to highlight, I mentioned this earlier, that there is a book at the, at the children's ministry table in the hallway, a book that's a free resource um, from the church to, to all of you. Um, so if you, if you a family like to have it or if you have someone you'd like to give it to, just pick up a copy. But it walks through the worship service and explains kind of what happens in the worship service. So this is a resource uh, for you to, to grab to the table um, right behind me in the hallway. And the last thing just to, to remind you, that there is a lunch called Intro to LSBC on the 6th of November. It's for if you just start coming or been coming for a while, it's a chance to learn more about the church, get to know other people. If you, everyone's invited, it'd be great for you to come. So that's November 6th after the service. Uh, let me know if you're interested. Let's continue giving our gifts to the work of God. Now let's stand together for the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures
receive God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.